Welcome back to More in Common, a podcast where we look to expose so-called difficult topics such as race, politics, religion, mental health, where we are ultimately evaluating people's stories, their thoughts, and the reasons for those thoughts. Um, We look to challenge our ability to evolve how we see each other and how we think about each other. Ultimately, the goal is exposing that we do have more in common than that which divides us, even while rooted in different points of view. So we seek to inspire thoughtful and honest conversation that that leads to action and change. And in today's conversation, we're going to continue uh, with Lloyd part two, which is, I guess, technically Lloyd part three, but we're specifically continuing the last episode that we have with Lloyd. And in today's, we go a lot deeper into the school to prison pipeline, like what kinds of issues are there and how do they manifest? And Lloyd even has a couple suggestions for fixes. Yeah, it's good. But before we do that, um, we do want to mix it up a little bit today, just because this is in the normal sequence of our release cycle. This is our follow-up episode. As we know, you all have a lot of other things to do and uh, we want to try to be be uh, sensitive to your ability to listen to these these conversations. We're going to do a little bit of a follow-up to part part two of three, part one of two, um, however you want to think about it. So uh, as far as part one goes, quick quick recap. What was one of the one big takeaway you took around uh, our, our last, last uh, episode with Lloyd? One big takeaway has got to be moral turpitude, I believe. Like say it preferably with an English accent and you're going to be well received, um, uh, you know. I I think uh, uh, the, well, the way we started with unconscious implicit bias, and just being very clear that it is not about being racist. There may be there. It's possible that some of you, you know, an individual's bias is prejudice, or based on somebody's skin color, where they're from, what they eat, all that kind of stuff. But it may not. It may just be. You know, in my household, uh, Fords are, are, are looked down upon and Chevys are the, are the king. And that, that may be your unconscious bias because that's just the way it, way it rolls in your family. So I really like that. And the other one, you asked the question of the Museum of Tolerance, you know, does it belong to other, other sites? And then he broke out that there are sites of conscience around the world. So I've, I've, gone we we put that link in our posting for this but i've added those to our our family's world travel list because those are places now that i want to go and go visit the sites throughout the world what about you i I love that last part around the opportunities to go to sites of conscience that that aren't just limited to los angeles so i've i've certainly been thinking about that and i've got to do some research on my own i'm you know, where I can and when I can. But I think for me, it's it's really one big takeaway. And, you know, I've had these conversations in the past um, off offline with with friends around implicit and unconscious bias and can you change them? I've I've been asked that question. And one of the things that 
you know, I always respond to is yes, but it just takes awareness. But to me, after having this conversation with Lloyd, it was a great reminder, if not first time acknowledgement. It's not just that it takes awareness. It takes a daily opportunity of some form of awareness that says, this is how I will be better today. He uses meditation. I use meditation. Um, but I also try different, different avenues that it's not just about, hey, you're aware. And I think this goes to some additional conversations where you often hear about people changing. I'm not going to change you because of the way you think in this conversation. But if you make someone aware of something without intent to change, it may end up leading to them thinking about it more than just once that they may change on their own when it comes to intolerance and a lack of acceptance, right? So um, I think that piece has just really, really stuck with me since we talked about it. It's almost, as you said that, I thought of, I take notes at almost any time somebody's saying something, I take notes. And nine times out of 10, I never revisit those notes. But I also don't keep the knowledge because I don't go back and revisit Mm -hmm. it. And the things that I really want to learn, I go back to multiple times or find a way to put it in to some kind of a daily whatever. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's building that building that gray matter muscle that's it muscle memory so it's an organ the brain is an organ it is correct it's tech but you can build it like a muscle in a way yeah this is a good follow-up we want to keep this one short and uh you know enjoy enjoy part two of of part two or part three of lloyd and don't forget you know leave us a review on your favorite um, podcast listening app, iTunes. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, um, whatever it may be. And, you know, certainly, you know, give us your feedback. Um, the more the more reviews we get, the more feedback we get, ultimately, the more people will get to listen. So enjoy. So how does this all, Rodney brought up 300 as it relates to your work like you said, um, reducing the prison pipeline. How does this all impact that back? And then back to Rodney's question, like what is reducing the prison pipeline mean to you? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, you know, so we, we, we typically refer to it as the school to prison pipeline, school right? So, pipeline, uh, right. So, so all along this pipeline, there are different, uh, you know, um, valves <laughs> or, or, or junctures, right? There's, it's, it begins, as we said, with the school, Right? moves up to, you know, include policing, includes the judicial system, includes... Uh, Let's talk about some of those real quick. Um, mm-hmm. So, my mom was an educator, the worst, by worst, I mean, all all black, m- mostly black, uh, one of the roughest high schools in Indianapolis for 18 years plus. And the policy there, and this seems innocuous, but this is really actually pretty insidious. The the rule there is if you get into a fight, you proceed directly to jail. Mm. There's no detention. There's no suspension. Oh, there is probably a suspension as well. But so think about this. Like if if you hit me mm. and I protect myself or if you hit me and I get knocked out, I was in a fight. Mm. We're both going to jail. Like not some theoretical high school jail? 
not a high school jail. No, I'm talking about Indian- Indianapolis PD. Wow. Come get you. You're going to jail. So that goes on your record. Now, that's I mean, at their now, high school policy? Like, so you went to a different high school. It wasn't the policy at your high school? This isn't like an Indianapolis no, thing? No, that was at their high school. Wow. Yeah. It was, well, it is an Indianapolis thing. It was an Indianapolis public, public school okay. policy. Okay. I mean, that would start the school to prison pipeline. Like, but what other kinds of things oh, no. are there? Oh, man. It, it, it's, it begins way before high school. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, if you Google uh, uh, preschool suspensions, uh, you, will, you will be shocked to find out that, that, that children are suspended multiple times from preschool, right? And you might not be shocked to know that, that it, that it uh, uh, affects uh, black students far, you know, in excess of, of you know, the, uh, of anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the ratio. I keep asking myself, what do you have to do in preschool to get suspended? That's a great question. Right? <laughs> and, and so, you know, we see it. It's, it's, it's frequent. I mean, Google it, really. You, you'll, you'll be, you'll be amazed at what, what was happened. I, uh, I mean, I, you know, I know there, there, it can be difficult. You can, you can lose your patience with a, a small child. I mean, I, you know, I can, I can get that, but, uh, there has to be a different solution to that problem because, uh, once you've suspended, let's say you suspended a, a student five times from preschool, right? What message was received at that early age, right, by the student? The message was, I don't, I guess I don't belong here. The message is, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, that's, I guess I'm a bad person. Uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't control myself, uh, or, or whatever, you know, the, whatever the, you're being told, those messages, stay with you they scar you for life and also how much information are they missing exactly oh yeah don't even get their classmates are they oh there you go and so you you know you're way behind and you're trying to catch up when you come back and and you know that begins the school to prison right there you know uh you begin to see yourself as not being a part of the school community you know i'm that kid i'm the bad one i'm the you know, the bully or the whatever it is. You get the label put on you at that very early age and it stays, and it stays with you. It will stay with you because partly you will internalize a lot of that stuff. And partly it just, you know, you get a reputation that, that precedes you, you know? I mean, to, and, this, uh, to this day, there is one kid in my upbringing from late, like eighth, seventh, seventh grade on through high school. I'm even friends with on Facebook now. Every time I see his name, I think about him as that kid. He went to Juvie Hall. He, um, you know, was the the bad kid that fought all the time, you know, and I was actually friends with him back then. But I still think of him. You talk about that label getting imprinted, depending on the ecosystem that you end up in as an adult. He seems like a successful, I don't talk to him anymore, successful father, successful husband, but that that label gets that stays with you let alone with other people let alone with yourself right yeah yeah what and, are and, uh, and, I, I just uh, wanted to ask you you know in, in regard to the high school situation when you know so much fighting and all that kind of thing but you know 
you have to ask questions like, how many counselors are on these school campuses? Mm. Uh Right? Are there there other resources for these young people? I spent uh, five years, I think it was, at a middle school where I conducted anger management classes in an after-school program, right? Where there was just rampant fighting that was going on in this campus, right? And they would, you know, at the end of the school day, they round up all of the usual suspects and then just toss them in a room and then, you know, okay, Mr. Wilkie, you know, there's your bunch for the day, right? And so, and I was, and I was supposed to try to, you know, try to help these young people to, to, to succeed, right? Um, what I learned was, was incredible in that five years, right? Uh, you know, a lot of times in, let's just say, you know, for example, a young, a young individual came to school without breakfast, right? Didn't have breakfast, you know, lunchtime came around. They didn't want to get in the line, you know, where they were giving out the county food because it was, you know, kind of humiliating for them. So we're talking about a student who's in school all day not eating right it's you can't learn and if they are eating it's not something that's very nutritious right and and you know let's say it's an it's a it's an 85 degree day and there's no air conditioning Mm. at school right i mean this is a recipe for a fight to happen (laughs) okay you know um i mean just just conditions around these individuals the school is dilapidated you know, restrooms don't work. You know, this was this was in the nineties. Uh, um, all sorts of conditions exist. You, you, a student, a student walks onto campus, and they're you know, I, I can only imagine what goes through their mind when they when they come through the gates of this you know, of this institution that looks like a jail. It looks like a jail. Like, how does that feel? All right. Um, well, you know, I, I mean, there were just so many factors, uh, so many what, factors that go into it. T- tell us the story of the um, firefighter program you got to. Uh, see. I got to visit. Yeah, yeah I went to uh, I went to a camp in Whittier, California. There's a, a camp where they I I uh, got invited to go up to dialogue with some uh, some young men at a at a uh, detention camp. Right, these are all young men between ages of sixteen and eighteen, and they are at this camp in the mountains, and they're being trained as firefighters. Um, they did, did we talk about this in our last? No, we did not. We heard it in the. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We heard it. In- yeah, they uh, they're being trained as firefighters. And whenever there's a fire in the mountains or, you know, some, somewhere locally, they get deployed to go out and fight fires as, uh, you know, as part of their training. Um, it's a, it's a, a multi-million dollar project that probation has put together. And, uh, they've been training these young people. And there's, there are women too that, that are in a different camp that are being trained. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the weird thing about it for me was, you know, I saw some really uh, beneficial qualities to this program, right? I saw, you know, these young men, they looked, they just looked so um, great in their uniform. They just, they look handsome. They look strong. They look fit. They looked confident. They, they were learning stuff. It was really a good thing. 
Uh, however, you know, the, 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 the flip side was that they were fighting these fires, risking their lives on the, on these fires, um, for $2 an hour. Mm. Right. And the other part is that if they have a felony on their record, when they get released from camp, they can't become firefighters because of because of the felony record right so for me it was almost like what do we what are we what are we doing here you know each each individual has a uniform they have these 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 uh, boots that they wore the boots that 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 are issued to each uh, uh, you know I, I'll call them prisoners each prisoner uh, gets a pair of boots that cost four hundred dollars because they're especially made for firefighting, right? So we're talking about a program that costs millions of dollars to implement. Tax. These these are tax tax dollars that that probation is issued to to do this work, right? And again, it's, it's, it's achieving a lot of great stuff. Kind of. Kind of. Well, the question is, what's the stated goal Well, you know, the goal is, you know, as, as they stated, is rehabilitation, right? Is to teach young men these skills. But how do you use firefighting skills if you can't be a firefighter? Right. So my thing was, you know, we have our priorities kind of screwed up. Like backwards? It's, it's, backwards. it's, it's very, I mean, to, to a lot of the challenges that veterans face. Coming back from overseas, being able to transition skills into a corporate workforce, and what are we doing to help them do that? Right. So yeah, it's like, yeah. In difficult. this case, it's almost like creating an ecosystem of cheap labor to do things that, as long as they're incarcerated into the, as long as they're in that system, that's where they are. But once they're released, what's next? Right. When you said two dollars an hour, I wrote down prison labor. I feel like that's an entire episode. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it is. That's exactly what it seems it like is. they it, instead of what you mentioned in the other podcast. Yeah. Why isn't that money spent up front to create firefighters in high school? In like, high school. Like maybe we identify those kids that are fighting. Maybe those kids that were the usual suspects. Maybe maybe they are more aggressive and or physically able or whatever. Before like let's we get them in some them some boots. Felony and let's have right. they can't translate those skills into the real world now. Because then that would be rehabilitation, right? Because right. then they could use the skill. That- so all those millions of dollars that was spent to build uh, uh, this prison to teach people how to be firefighters, which they could never be, we could have sprinkled that money around to the various high schools or or some other locations where they could have had fire camps and teach kids to be firefighters uh, uh, before the felony, right? And, you know, so we, 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 we keep putting, the, the, you know, uh, our, our priorities are just upside down, hmm. right? I just, I, just, I just came back from another camp uh, up in uh, Malibu. Um, it's uh, Camp Kilpatrick. And I was up there visiting with some, some young men up there, and it's a beautiful – they just built this joint. It's $52 million. Wow. It's brand new. You should have seen the gym. I, I almost wanted to get a room up there. Can I, <laughs> can I stay? Seriously, can I come up here and stay for a week? I would. The, the view was fantastic from up there. 
And this is a this is a so it's a detention camp. Yeah. It so was it's jail. like a step below prison. <laughs> yeah. It was a jail, man. It's jail. It's jail. You know, it's jail. But what kind of what kind of I'm curious, like what kind of felons are we talking about? I don't know. I didn't ask him what crimes okay. they committed and stuff, but my guess is a lot of it's low-level drug stuff. Mm. Okay. You know, and, and perhaps, you know, there are a lot of, there seem to be a lot of gang-affiliated people that are, that are in prison there, you know, and I don't know what offenses they are alleged to have, uh, uh, you know, committed, but, you know, uh, once again, there, you know, do you have to keep asking yourself who is benefiting from all this literally that was the expansion. next question right who who benefits from all of that is you know the, the answer who, yeah the people who build prisons the people who bring the food to the prison the people who work in the prison wait but the, it, if this costs 52 million wait wait so this was 52 million dollars that wasn't privately funded this is or do I, you know how it's i would i would say that was that was taxpayer money you know, I don't, I haven't even really delved into it, but this this is a this so is a tax money. But the people running the facility make a salary. Oh yeah, yeah, they got some nice cars parked out in front of there. Are prisons considered nonprofit, uh, i.e., tax exempt? Well, not all of them. There is there are you know again again there are private prisons, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there are you know state run yeah, prison. Right. right? And federal and, and federal and county. So these are county facilities. But these are I'm camps. About. County camp. Yeah, county. Yeah. That's a count the, the county runs these facilities. So these are some of the systematic issues, obviously, of the school to prison pipeline. What is it? Uh I mean these are the, the preschool suspensions thing, your story writing about the school your mom taught at or just that general philosophy. So, Lloyd, what is it that you're doing? I mean, we talked about boxing a little bit the last time to help, but what are some of the things that you do every day to help mitigate this school-to-prison pipeline? <laughs> Including boxing. Cause yeah, no, that's all part of it. Because yeah. it's not really – it's it's billed as a boxing program, but I don't think that's how you yeah. – that's your goal. Well, we, you know, we really have only scratched the surface on all of the different components to this school to prison pipeline because there's all these other, you know, inputs, right? Well, yeah, no, feel free to you know, go a little further on mm-hmm. that. There's housing has, has impact on this. Employment, you know, economic opportunities has, has impact on this. Healthcare has impact. Environment impacts the school to prison pipeline. Every, every quality of life issue that an individual experiences can play a role in this. What we have is a group, what we have is, is, is a lot of people who work, <laughs> who work in these systems, these institutions, who don't, maybe are, aren't aware that this pipeline exists, mm-hmm. but they, they're all complicit in their, uh, in their um, participation in it. So let's break down pipe. Like when you say school to prison pipeline, like let's go, like just define that. What do you mean specifically by that phrase and, and, and pipeline and specifically what, what is it that you're saying people are complicit in, even if they don't know what it is? Yeah. Um, what I'm, what I'm suggesting, or 
and what not, not only me, but is that <clears throat> there is a system where that is that is almost like sucking young people into it, and 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 the end result is mass incarceration. Okay. Um, All along the way, we as a society uh, have, be, I guess, in some ways, have become okay with it uh, because it, it exists, and and you know, <clears throat> there's little outrage about it and uh, little, you know, action being done about it. But now, you know, as the more people are talking about it, we're, what we're trying to do is create an awareness and and try to do what we can about it. Um, we do incarcerate more of our citizens than probably anybody else in the world mm-hmm. does of theirs, right? Um, and they're disproportionately members of, 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 you know, people of color and, uh, and the poor, right? And get sucked into the system from an early age. And, and, you know, there are those who will say, um, and I don't want to g- go through this interview without um, without pointing to the, uh, uh, the understanding about personal responsibility too, mm. right? There are some who say, Hey, you know, there's some personal responsibility here that you keep saying, Lloyd, that it starts with school, but it really starts with the parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm not going to just let parents off the hook, but I'm also not going to victimize the victims either. Okay, um, but I, I am all from from the time of inception. A child needs to have the best of everything. I I know you you have a you have a six month old, don't you? Yep. Right. You want that child to have the best of everything, right? And every child should have the best of everything, right? There's no there's no there's no child that should have, you know, that should, that should, you know, I, I, I agree. Like your words, you know, like I, your, your lack of words are <clears throat> just enough words. I mean, I, I look at my daughter every day and just think of the children out there who are unfortunate to be not wanted, to yeah. only have one parent, to not have any parents. Like that, that ecosystem, it's just, you're born into this world. You didn't choose it. Now, how do you, how do you get the best of everything when no one wants to help you get anything? Yeah. And so, um, so as, as I, as I think about the, the pipeline, I, I just look at all the inequities in our society and wherever there's a, a system or an institution or an individual that is blocking the progress of any child to succeed, I'm going to have to speak out on that. And I'm going to have to do something about it. Okay, so that's kind of where my heart is right now. I When I said to you before, I'm running up and down the pipeline trying to damage it and trying to, trying to dismantle it. 
that's kind of, you know, that's kind of it. I, I, I spend time in schools. I, I do work with teachers to try to help them see, you know, some things like we talked about before, you know, bias, bias. and, and where, where they, where they can improve their practice to become better teachers to, to, you know, to better manage their classrooms and, 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 uh, and help their children uh, succeed. I spend time with children, as you know, um, and youth, um, trying to do whatever I can to assist them and offer them support where they might not be getting it. Um, you, you know, you talked about students who may not have both parents or any parents. I, I just want to be there. I just want to play with some kids. Um, they, you know, if, if it means just playing with you, you know, uh, if it means spending some time with you, just talking to you, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of there for that. Um, I'm railing against the, the, the judicial system that, that is incarcerating our people in this way, that, that is in so many ways corrupt. Um, and in so many ways, just geared toward uh, benefiting those people we talked about before, the people who build prisons, the, the, the people who, um, are, you know, uh, uh, manage these facilities and, and, and make money off of, off of, off of this, the, the way this system continues to operate. Well, I was going to, so I had two other questions. I was going to ask who else benefits? Cause you mentioned being complicit, whether or not you realize it. And, and yeah. there are some, there are some huge, Benefactors, yes. Uh, you, you know, you talked about private prisons before, right? There, there are. Uh, let's just take one of those for example. If you got a private prison, then you, these prisons uh, have stockholders, right? Those stockholders make money. Uh, the, uh, the the they then uh, lease out in a way the uh, the the population of the prison to do work. We've, you know, we've touched on that a little bit, but I mean, uh, meaning, meaning that they free labor, free labor to manufacture goods and, 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 and things that ending up on the shelves that, so, you know, it's Christmas time, right? So you're going to run out and buy your, I know you're getting ready to go out and buy your wife some Victoria's Secrets for Christmas, <laughs> Rodney. <laughs> right? Right? But, but just before you do, you, you should know that those panties were fondled by some inmates. Before you got them, okay. There was inmates that was making those unmentionables, <laughs> okay. So I, I'm not. I'm going to try to, you know, c cause people to be more aware of how you spend your money. So you're saying that prisons. So so take a private prison. They have shareholders that make profit b based on what this prison is able to bring in. The way that they make money outside of. I'm sure, well, I don't know. I'm going to look this up. I'm sure they probably do get some federal or state grants or funding, um, which is tax money paying. And then free labor. What, I, the first thing that popped in my head is what is the definition of slavery? Free labor. Free labor, uh, and, um, and the, uh, and the, man, the, uh, Erasing someone's identity and, uh, uh, owning someone, uh, that's slavery, right? That's, uh, abusing someone, um, 
So essentially what we're talking about in a school to prison pipeline is building a free workforce. Yeah. Now, now that's the extreme because there is a part of, there is the conversation about marshalling society. There are, there are people who need to be oh, apart I, I from. Just, I was just about to go there. <laughs> there are people that need to be apart from society. Because I can hear those society. people are screaming out there. Well, and you know, so this is something that I think about all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the nuance within all of this. Right. Personal responsibility and parental resp- responsibility. You know, there, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, there are, there are people who've talked about roses growing from concrete, right? Like, yeah. like people can make it sometimes with none of those res- love and resources and the best but that doesn't mean that it happens all the time but but like there's this nuance to everything in that it's far more complicated it's than just saying this is good and that's bad like right. prison is needed and maybe we should try and uh reduce Not- how many people we send there yeah, or you want to talk about the idea of rehabilitation. Let's be sincere about it. You know, that right. we, we accept it in society that, well, you know, you made your choices, you made your bed, now you got to go to prison and, hey, if you're going to make $2 an hour, you're going to make $2 an hour, you're, you're a criminal. But we, exactly right. what you said is that dehumanization of free labor. Yes. It's saying you must do this versus pay your pay your time, as, as a criminal, right. like, do your time. You've got to repent. You've right. got to do what's necessary due to the consequences of your actions. But to create a system that has such a high recidivism rate that isn't mm-hmm. focused on rehabilitation. I mean, I, I, right. I think the firefighter program is a really nice idea. But at the same time, mm-hmm. how is that not creating an ecosystem of recidivism? Like I can, mm-hmm. I built this skill set that I can only use in this particular case. And that means when I'm behind mm-hmm. bars, uh, because I can't use it in the real world. It's something my mom asked a lot. That school that she's at, that was the only school in the state. And I actually need to ask her, uh, whether it was a policy through all of the Indianapolis public schools or just that school. Mm-hmm. I have a, I, for some reason, I think it was only a couple schools that were known to be, that's a bad school. Like that, where everybody went to jail on first incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the only school that had a car mechanic uh, class and curriculum as a part of the high school. Mm-hmm. And she's been saying to me for years that college isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's a disservice that we don't have shop class and we don't have an auto class and we don't have a woodworking class and we. We don't, we're not teaching people how to be a useful part of society. We are seemingly training people to go spend their money in college. Mm -hmm. And if they can't do that, then they got to figure it out. How did you get started? How did you get yourself involved in these schools? What was the impetus to getting started for you? Because this is something that's super, this is a very selfish question, but maybe serving for everybody else listening. Because this is something I'm super passionate about and would love to figure out. And I have no idea how to conceive of getting started on something like this. Well, Oh, man. Or what would you tell somebody else that <clears throat> had has something that they think they might want to start? Yeah, um, I had to. 
I have to say this. It was well. The main thing was, and I think we talked a little bit about this in the, in the previous uh, spot. Um, it was the thing that really set me over the edge was the was the 1992 uh, civil unrest in, in Los Angeles, or I, I, I refer to it mostly as a rebellion that happened here in Los Angeles, right? So when that occurred, it it sent off a lot of bells and whistles for me. I uh, I previously really wasn't focused on a lot of community work. I was doing some volunteer work, but not, you know, it was mostly focused on um, trying to get uh, customers for the bank I was working for. <laughs> focused on your career? Yeah, I was, I was focused on my career. I was in the banking business and, and, and I saw myself as uh, somebody that could go out on and represent the bank in, in the community. And I thought maybe I could do some good by, you know, getting the bank to focus its attention on, on community issues. And, and also it would draw people to, you know, to our brand or, you know, the bank, right? So I was trying to serve that function. And I was mostly focused on my career, you know, the, hopefully a, a, an upward traje- trajectory, as they say, right? But that wasn't working out. Um, when 92 occurred, uh, I was, I was set on fire, you know, uh, by the whole experience. And, um, it, it triggered something in me about trying to figure out a way to try to do some meaningful work in the community, in community, you know, and to, and to try to figure out how I could contribute to, I guess, healing was what I was, you know, was really thinking about at that time. And I, and I specifically thought a lot about, you know, the, 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 the distrust that existed because it was what was central to the case the distrust that that existed between the community and the police. I had only lived in LA for about 12 or 13 years at that point. So, you know, I didn't really know everything about LA. You know, I I was still just making my way around and just, again, just trying to do me. But um, that caused me to go into a whole deep sort of um, study. I had to, I had to do that because I didn't know what I could contribute. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just this dude, you know, I don't, I don't have any specific skills that I can bring, uh, to this. You know, I didn't go to school for this stuff. I didn't, you know, as, as we know, I didn't right. go to school at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what, uh, which is interesting because I had to lie to a lot of people all along the way about all my, my educational prowess. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't have a specific direction, but, what happened, I think, was a series of, of, of unlikely circumstances. I got laid off from the bank. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that, that caused me to have to go figure out how to hustle and, and do something else. And so, I, you know, in the meantime, while I was applying for jobs and hustling and beating the streets, I, I picked up an ad in the paper and it had something in there about the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Right. And I'm like, oh, there's one of them in L.A. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess so, it is Southern California. Yeah. So <laughs> I went, you know, I went by there and they were they were recruiting people into their mediation program. <laughs> and so I said, wow, mediation. A lot of what was going on in the community was uh, conflict between uh, Korean Americans and African Americans. Really? Yeah, we were seeing a lot of that happen around the 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 the, the around ninety two around the yeah. rebellion. Right? Actually, I knew that one of my good friends at Purdue is Korean, and he told me he was telling me about the gangs out here, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, that even even later in the nineties, and 
Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, even to the point of, you know, they were like merchants, right? Mm. There were a lot of Korean American merchants in the community, in the black community. And there was a lot of conflicts that were happening between the customers and the, and, you know, and so they, they figured out a. Uh, boys in the hood. Yeah, you know. And so, you know, they put together a, a mediation program. And so they were training mediators. And I said, oh, okay, 40 hours, I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here. I, I'm just applying for jobs. I can't find anything else to do. So I'll do that. And then I found out I was pretty good at it. Um, and, you know, I took the, the, took the class and then, um, there was like, you had to do a hundred hours of, of, of mediations in the community. So I was doing a lot of these neighbor to neighbor disputes and, and, you know, the dog barking and the trees hanging over in my yard. And, you know, and then there was, you know, some of these consumer merchant, you know, things. And then, you know, they, they, I started, they started to take on these inter-ethnic sort of tensions and things. And then, then I got, I fell into this program called the, uh, leadership development in inter-ethnic relations program. Uh, I just signed up for it. It was a nine month leadership program and I got into that and they taught me a lot of things. And, you know, I found that I was, I had a, a, a niche for some of this, this work. And I, I'll fast forward to the point where I did not want to do youth work. I was resistant to it. Um, Why? Somebody dragged me into it because <laughs> I, I felt I was too old. I felt also that I didn't have a connection. I felt like I didn't have a, a lot in common with the young people that, that, you know, that, that I could, you know, really speak to. Um, but once I got dragged into it, I found out all of that was, was totally, um, wrong. That I did have a connection, that I did have everything in common with these young people, right? I had, uh, so much to, to learn from them. And I just started spending time with these, with, with young people as much as possible at that point. Uh, cause they were just teaching me and I learned how to shut up and I learned how to just get in there and, and get in where you fit in. That's what I'm going to tell you, your, your listeners. Get in where you fit in. You just, you just got to go out there and, and, and find it. It, it, it. You might not know what it is. Um, it, you, the right teachers will, will, you'll find your, your teachers, you know, as you, as you go. If you, if you have a passion for something in particular, bring that to the table. Bring that in. If you're a musician, bring the music. If you're a poet, bring the poetry. If you, if you're a basketball player, go coach basketball. Do, you know, whatever it is that you're passionate about. That way, you're always doing something you love. And, uh, um, so, you know, you, you have to find out what, what your gifts are because you really don't know until you get out there and, 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 and experiment, you know. Uh, I did a lot of experimenting and. Uh, Back to that, that concept in the last one of, uh, who are you? And yeah. it takes work to figure out who you are. Yeah. Wow. So the, the ideal. The ideal scenario is just a utopia, right? We're all love unicorns and, and, and rainbows and, uh, you know, magical gumdrops. Um, but we live in a, we live in the real world where there's going to be issues. What, like, you're doing things to try and make tangible difference in the day to day in your community. What do you recommend? Is that what you recommend other people do? Like, what kinds of things do you recommend 
like you say, get in where you fit in, where you find passion. Like, how do you, to somebody, to somebody who's, remember we sat, we sat at a table with a young woman. She might've been 18 or 19. She's a writer, very intelligent, young black woman. And she, and she was disillusioned. She's already given up. She said, I will be hated because I'm black. And I believe that. And I know that. And there's nothing I can do about it. And I listen, I look at some of the most recent conversations I'm having on Facebook and people have given up. There is no hope. What do you tell somebody that's like, I, there's nothing I can do? Like, how, And you're, you've been fighting this fight for 25 years, a long time. Well, I can't say that I I don't I don't have my periods, you know, my low periods. Sure. Right. Um, you know, uh, I've experienced some. Uh, you know, f- honestly, I'm ha- I'm at a I'm a, I'm at a kind of a low period right now. You know, because I feel disillusioned in our leadership in this country. And, you know, not only disillusioned, I, I feel <laughs> contempt for our our. Our leadership in this country and they're, and they're turning us back in the wrong direction and it's, it's, it's destructive and I'm, and I'm, and it, and it actually frightens me. You know, I'm, 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 I have to say it. I'm, I'm kind of in one of those periods sometimes, but I have to keep getting up and, and, and facing it. Um, I'm not that guy that's going to lay down. Um, I've always been rebellious. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I, I think I had that rebellious streak, you know, from the time I was about maybe 16, 17, it, it developed in me. And, um, I'm, I'm a fighter. And I don't know how you, I don't know. I, I actually, I don't know. I think one thing we haven't talked about is the spiritual. Uh, and I spend a lot of time in prayer, but I also spend a lot of time Trying to understand, you know, the things that are happening through a spiritual, uh, lens, mm-hmm. right? All of this is spiritual. It is all spiritual. I mean, I know there are people who are not religious, but I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about that this is, this is bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we have to do is sit still, just just be still in those moments when when we're at our low point. Be still. Just be still and listen. Just be still and listen. The answer to these issues, these big problems in our lives, are. You know, when we have a big problem, the answer is inside the problem. I, I, I think, I don't know. I haven't really kind of worked at it. I'm, I'm thinking as, you know, this whole interview that, 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 that we're doing right now, I'm just thinking out loud. I I mean, none of this stuff is, none of this stuff is, is in stone. Okay. I mean, you know, I'll listen to it tomorrow and, and I'll, and I'll be, I'll be, what did, what was I thinking? You don't give yourself enough credit, but I, I love, I, I love that you're able to say that and, and evaluate because you're being very hard I mean, on yourself. And, and here's the, um, here's the, here's the, I mean, the reality of that sentiment is we're two things. We're, we're all every single day trying to figure it out, 
right? And from yeah. one day to the next, you if you if you spend a little time and thought you're going to learn something and go tomorrow, man, I wish I had knew that the day before because my thought yesterday would have been different because it's different today. And yeah. the the importance of having active dialogue to really be humble and, and express humility in yourself that you don't know all the answers in each and every conversation that you have that you learn from somebody else you you kind of figure it out and you all of a sudden the three of us are now completely connected forever and all time just based yeah. on the the musings and the learnings and the way that you've given me an opportunity to think about things that I would never have had had I not known Rodney or not Rodney and had not spoken up that one day um, in at the at the NPR um, police panel and you had not reached out to him. And I think that you're, you're actively musing through this conversation is representative of exactly what we're trying to do is muse through conversations, not come into a conversation knowing you have all the answers. I never do. You never do. We, we have to figure it I out. I do. And that's how empathy ultimately comes about. Um, yeah. So I, I, I appreciate you coming to this conversation with that because it makes it for a much better experience for us. You know, and let me just say that, you know, I haven't had a lot of practice of doing this, this type of thing, because most of the time when I'm engaged in a dialogue with someone, it's me asking the questions. Yeah. And it's me sort of listening and, and, uh, and, and, and trying to, uh, engage people, right? And so I don't, you know, often, share my own thinking and, and, and opinions. That's why I so greatly appreciate you guys inviting me to do this with you. Um, and the fact that I can do that in this way and, and, you know, uh, and, 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 and be as, as, you know, open with, with y'all is, is, is a testament to the two of you, um, uh, and your skill. And you're, I don't know, you're, there's something, something about y'all <laughs> that, you know, that gives, that, 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 uh, allows, uh, the, you know, the individual to, to be themselves. Okay. And, you know, so I, I, you know, I just have to, you know, give, give you the credit, uh, for, 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 you know, for the work that you're doing too. Well, we appreciate that. I got a book for you that has to do with specifically the answers and the problem. Um, I, man, I, listening to all of this, and listening to you say that you were just basically riffing with us over the last few sessions, I think you should start writing this down. Like, there's a there's a book, there's a class, there's books in class. I don't know. But um, I, I listened. So, Keith mentioned Tim Ferriss the other day. I don't know if you know him. But he's a, uh, he's like a, he's a venture capitalist. He's a, he writes books. He's a self-experimenter. He's all about minimum effective dose. How do I get the most for the least? Um He's and the last book he wrote, he, he said it came out of a personal crisis, like a midlife-ish crisis, got to a point like 40 years old and didn't know what to do next. And his philosophy, even though he's a type A and a lot of type A's believe that pain is necessary for growth, his question he asked in Tough Spots is, what would this look like if it was easy? Like, because he's like, I don't know what to do next. What would this look like if it was easy? And he's like, oh, why don't I just interview people who are successful and find out what they did? Hmm. So he just went and wrote a book after interviewing 150 famous people or people that he admires specifically. And that, I mean, that was the answer that came out of him asking that question and then sitting. 
And you said, sit, be still and listen. I was just talking to somebody on the phone yesterday that said to me that manifesting abundance is supposed to be effortless. And I was like, yeah, I kind of, on some levels, I know that, you know. Thank you. A absolutely. And I'll add, you know, you, you talked about the disarming thing and trying to, uh, I think part of it is your humility. You don't, you, you don't see yourself as an expert. You absolutely are. And I think that is disarming. There's nothing worse than a know-it-all, <laughs> right? It's hard to talk to somebody who's, who tells you they know everything. Yeah. And so I think that's probably one of the things you have going for you when you're, when you're trying to connect with people that would seemingly not want to connect with you. Thank you. So, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm certain that when I listen back to this, I will be cringing at points because there will be some things that I said that I wish I hadn't said or things that I said in a, in a way that, you know, I wish I had thought about them longer uh, or something like that. Cause I'm, you know, I, again, this is kind of new to me. Um, you know, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to, to come on and, you know, and practice these skills. That's, you know, and, and learn something from you guys in the process and and learn something about myself as I as I do this. You know, I learned I learned some things listening to the last podcast. I said uh, I think when we have these kinds of chances to dialogue with each other, you know, it, it, it's useful for, for many reasons. Uh, we can learn about each other and ourselves yeah. in the process. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to have that, you know, that that moment. That was a lot of fun spending all that time with Lloyd. We really, really appreciate his you know, knowledge, his wisdom, his time dedicated to, to putting in a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, thoughts out there with us. Some new to him, um, certainly new to all of us. So as again, breaking away from the norm, just kind of close this one up as part of part two or part three, um, if anybody's sick of me saying that at this point, what was one of, uh, what, what was your key takeaway from that? Uh, how, how, how not educated I am on what happens in school and what happens with the correctional correction system. For instance, the, the firefighter program that is essentially throwing good money after bad. It's just, it's just a waste of money. And, and to Lloyd's point, um, so a, I need to research and, and, and learn more about this. And one of the one he mentioned is up in Malibu, not far from where I am. So I got to research that maybe even go visit. 
and then, you know, start asking some questions and uh, trying to figure out why we're not investing that money up front so that we don't create these delinquents. We don't create these problem children so that they have to go to a juvenile detention program so that they get to go learn how to be a firefighter that they can never be. And then, you know, part of the, it, it, as he mentioned, I guess a part of the issue is that these, a lot of these facilities are privately funded. So they need people to come in so they can make money from, and I'm not sure how they make money. So a lot of this for me, yeah. I guess, is a process of, no, I, uh, I think as it, I process it, uh, it uh, I wanting to, to th- this better educate idea of so that I can evolve and figure out I've where I can about it, do quite something. frankly. Um, prior to what about you with Lloyd in our first, first conversation with him. And this this thought, uh, especially after this episode, around the the circumstances and ecosystem that a child has at an early age and through adolescence is so so important. Not just to the decisions that they make later in life, but the way that where they could end up as a result of one or two decisions. Right? I mean. And, and how how disproportionately impacted um, poor inner city black communities are to poor white communities or um, certainly wealthy um, communities in general. So I, I think I'm with you. It's it's something I am not fully uh, educated on, and I think there's it's one of those things that if better has such spiderweb effect in our overall economy, our overall society, uh, the moral fiber that connects us all, uh, equality, that this particular issue is is so far-reaching. Um, it, it, I, I just feel now more people need to know about it in an effort to even do the smallest thing, right? So... Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even selfishly, I want to learn, know more about it because if, if these programs are funded yeah. with tax money, I want to figure out True. where I can apply my vote to change that because like, I don't want my, like I pay a lot of taxes. I don't want my tax money going to a program that can't, that, that's not helping. Right. So truth. Well, look. Lloyd, we appreciate you coming on. Everybody who listened and come along on this this journey and is on this uh, path as we run this social experiment, we really appreciate you. And uh, tune in next time as we bring some more fantastic content with the new guests. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter under the hashtag More in Common Pod. Make sure you check out our Facebook group and make sure to leave us a comment in itunes you can leave a comment on our website you can leave a comment in uh, google play Uh, the comments help us get recognized uh, as we look to get rated and be sure to share it with somebody if you got something out of this share it with somebody until then we'll check you out next time expose evaluate evolve